0: Welcome to the Think Podcast with Joel Sedecase. I'm Joel Sedecase, and this is the show that tackles impossible questions from a biblical perspective to help you explain, share, and defend the Christian message. So, as I record this, it is Monday afternoon, um, June 1st, about 3 a.m., 3 p.m., 3 p.m., if I could speak. Normally on Mondays, I record a Monday minute, and while today's episode will be brief, it's not going to be just a minute. I've got a little bit more to address today, so we're going to call this one a Monday monologue, and the reason why I've got a little bit more to address is right now, as I speak, many of my fellow Northsiders in Chicago, fellow siders, to be specific, are afraid. There are posts... Going around on Facebook, Um, I've actually shared some posts myself warning about impending looting, rioting, uh, violent protests, and things like that. Why? Why is that? Why is all this going on? For a little bit of context, if you're watching this later, let's say even months later, you could be listening to this on the podcast years later, we are at a point In the unfolding uh, events of 2020, in which um, a man named George Floyd has just been apparently unjustly killed by the Minneapolis police. And I say apparently, not because I don't think it was an unjust killing, but rather because I'm trying to hold to the biblical principle of letting all the facts be exposed before coming to... A hard and fast conclusion. You might not like that, but it is the biblical approach. And as a Christian, I'm trying to be biblical. Now, people are afraid because there have been there have been uh, posts about um, rioting on uh, on the northwest side of the city where I live. There have been riots downtown. There have been uh, police officers. Law enforcement officers dragged through the streets. There have been squad vehicles that have been torched. Um, historic buildings have been broken into. Retail businesses have been looted, and and not just downtown, but in the neighborhoods as well. Actually, um, in my own neighborhood, there was a Walgreens, actually um, a Walgreens that my family goes to for life-saving medication for my wife and son, was looted. Uh, the pharmacy was... Uh, it was boarded up and there were people working on it. So um, this this is a, um, a scary time to be a Chicagoan, just like in, in many other cities there have been violent riots and, and protests. Um, a lot of the protests started out peacefully, and they're certainly not violent everywhere. But unfortunately, bad actors have either infiltrated or have exposed themselves uh, in these riots and or in these protests. And uh, a lot of violence has taken place. So it's really heartbreaking to see what's been going on around my city and uh, and in my neighborhood. Now, at times like this, when there is chaos and uh, pain and violence, it can be tempting to think of God as something like an absentee landlord. After all, where is God when there is injustice? And I'm talking about the injustice of police brutality, which is a reality in our nation as well as around the world. Uh, Institutionalized violence and and brutality is always a tragic thing to see. It was um, tragic to see in the death of George Floyd. It was uh, tragic to see in uh, the many other killings of of people of various ethnicities um, that have taken place. Uh, And I say this as someone who has police officer friends, so I'm not throwing all cops under the bus. Uh, It's always wrong to sweepingly generalize any particular group. Um, So where is God in all this? Where is God when there's rioting? Where is God when there's injustice? Where is God... When our pharmacies are being attacked, when our Walgreens are being attacked, our targets and Walmarts are being attacked, when there's rumors that they're going to um, attack our homes. Where is God in all this? Why does he feel distant? Why Is he absent in all this? Is he um, watching from heaven aloof? Does he even see what's going on? And how can we as Christians think about this biblically? And how can we speak into the situation in a biblical Christian way? Now, I don't claim to have all the answers by any means. However, I do I do have a book right here. And this book is the ultimate strategy uh, manual for people who want to engage the world in a way that is true, effective, and powerful. And if you couldn't just see what I held up because you're listening to this later on, it's my Bible. It's actually my big honking. ESV, look at the size of this thing, this ESV study Bible. It was given to me by my sister-in-law nine years ago, and I still use it. Uh, I don't think there's a single sermon I've ever written that I didn't use this for. But today I want to read to you from Psalm 110. And I did say I'd be brief. We're going to be brief, but we need to know how do we address this moment in history biblically. And Psalm 110 is the perfect passage to, to help us do that. Here's what it says. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. not Park Community Church, but the church I was at beforehand. This was one of the last texts I preached on. It was actually a New Year's sermon. I know this passage. I love this passage. I'm not going to fully exposit this passage, but I want to give some insight into how this passage can help us think biblically at a time when our streets are burning and where many of us are living in fear. Now, in this passage, King David, the author, the psalmist, is referring to a future king who would come, who would be so much more powerful than he was, that he actually calls this king, Lord. This king is known as the Messiah, or the Anointed One. And in this passage, the first thing we learn is that this Lord, this coming Messiah, this Anointed One, is going to sit at the right hand of Yahweh, of Jehovah, of God Himself. And he's going to sit at his right hand, Until the Lord, the Father, God, puts all of the Messiah's enemies under his feet. That's the context for what we're about to talk about. Now let's look at three different questions. And these questions are directly related to the current crisis we find ourselves in with streets burning and people rioting. Question one, who's in charge? Question two, how should the church respond? And question three, What will be the outcome of all this? So let's look up, let's look inwardly, and then let's look forward to what's going to happen in the future. First things first, who is in charge? Well, the Bible's answer couldn't be more encouraging and clear. Who's in charge? Is it the people running Antifa? Is it the people running Black Lives Matter? Is it the police department? Is it the National Guard? Is it the president? Now, according to the Bible, the Messiah is in charge. Check this out. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Sit at my right hand. The right hand of the king is the place of power and prestige. It's the place from which the, um, the chief executive of the king, the, the, um, th- this is the, the position of the most powerful person in the kingdom, would execute the King's decrees. This is where he sits. And my friends, that is where Jesus Christ is reigning from right now. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And according to Matthew 28, 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus Christ. So if you want to know who's in charge of this whole situation, who is going to ultimately bring forth justice, who is going to protect you? Who's going to protect your family? According to the Bible, Jesus Christ is reigning. He sees what is happening. He is not afraid. He's not caught off guard. He is not scratching his head, wondering how all this happened or what he's going to do next. All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to Jesus Christ. He is God in the flesh. He is the Son of God, and he is the God-man who is reigning over the affairs and the history of man right now. So the first thing that Christians have to understand is that Jesus Christ is in control. He is not an absentee landlord. He is not watching aloofly. He is bringing all things about exactly as he wants them to go. And right now, he is taking notes. He is not, not so he can respond uh, and come up with a plan, but Jesus is marking down how each and every person responds during this crisis. The Bible says that at some point in the future, we will all have to give an account for everything and every word, every every action we take and every word we speak. Question number two, how should the church respond? Now this is where it gets really fun. In verse two of the passage, it says, the Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, speaking to the, to the Messiah. Rule in the midst of your enemies. So how should the church respond here? Well, according to this passage, the Messiah is reigning and ruling from heaven, but he's not just reigning from heaven. He's also reigning on earth. His reign is a a, a rule and a reign that is present with God's people. It's present with all people. It's actually present on the earth right now. And the scepter, meaning uh, symbolizing the rule of the Messiah, is spreading throughout the earth, and it's infiltrating into territory that is currently hostile to his reign. How is this happening? Well, this has been happening ever since the Messiah, the Christ, took his seat next to the Father. When did that happen? That happened after Jesus Christ ascended, after rising from the dead. Well, that was 2,000 years ago. So what that means is that for the last 2,000 years, the rule and the reign that symbolized by the scepter of Jesus Christ has been spreading throughout the earth. It's been encroaching into hostile territory. It was encroaching into hostile territory when St. Patrick brought the gospel to Ireland. It was encroaching into enemy and hostile territory when the missionaries um, first came to China or when the missionaries first went into sub-Saharan Africa. Or when the missionaries first went to the United States or North America. Or when the missionaries first went to Australia. Whenever a missionary brings the gospel to a new place, and he, he, he comes with the gospel of peace and the gospel that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior and rose from the dead and that forgiveness of sins is necessary and only accessible through Christ, he is entering, or she is entering, or they are entering into hostile territory. And when that happens, the gospel spreads and the scepter of Christ is extended out into the earth. And so what happens then is some, it's the exact same thing that happened when the Apostle Paul preached to the Athenians in Acts chapter 17. What was the result when that happened? Some were intrigued, others believed, and others scoffed. Whenever the gospel is preached, there are always going to be some who are intrigued, some who receive, and others who scoff. There are always going to be believers and there are, who receive the message, and there are always going to be those who remain enemies of Christ. And as those believers begin to put down roots, they begin to extend the reign of Christ into the world themselves by preaching the gospel, by living for Jesus Christ, by... Um, by living out the implications of the gospel in the world. And as they do that, the scepter of Christ is extended and the rule of the Messiah is, um, is perpetuated in the presence of his enemies. Look, if you're a Christian here watching this today, then Jesus Christ reigns not only from heaven, but in your own heart, in your own life. So through you, as you are surrounded by non-Christians, you are, through you, Jesus is ruling in the midst of his enemies. How cool is that? And what's even cooler is as you share the gospel, his reign is extending out into the world and the enemies of Christ, the enemies of the Messiah, are becoming his royal subjects. So how should the church respond? We have to respond with biblical truth with our sword. What is our sword? We don't use bricks and Molotov cocktails to spread the gospel. That's not how the church is advanced. Has the church gotten that wrong? Yeah. Over the years, over the millennia? Of course. Some have. Some Christians have. And there have also been a lot of so-called Christians posing as Christians who have gotten this wrong because they never had the Holy Spirit and they didn't understand how the gospel is actually supposed to be propagated. But for the Christian, this is, this Bible, not just this Bible, your Bible, all 66 books, is your offensive weapon. That is what you bring into crisis situations. So, when my my brother um, in Christ, Rafe, Pastor Rafe, um, I love the way he responded. He was walking around the South Loop yesterday after much of the rioting and um, uh, looting had taken place, preaching the gospel praying with people. There's another pastor named Bill Devlin who went out to uh, Minneapolis a couple days ago. Now he's in New York City and he's bringing the gospel. What does this look like for you? Well, maybe you're still locked down in your house. You're like, I can't go out on the streets right now. I'm, I'm playing it safe. Aren't we all supposed to be on lockdown? Well, here's what you can do. Do you have access to social media? If so, when was the last time you Shared some scripture. When was the last time you preached the gospel from your Facebook page? When was the last time you tweeted the gospel? If you're on uh, one of these chat clients, if you're on, you know, uh, what Discord? If you're on uh, the new one that I'm on, what's what's it called? The, all these new, all these new social media, these alternative social media. When was the last time you preached the gospel from your account? This is how the church must respond, according to this passage. The rule and reign of Christ extends out into the world. And the way that happens is through the evangelization of his enemies. If you're a Christian here today, you are a former enemy of God. And we want to give the opportunity for current enemies of God to become faithful children of God the Father. And that only happens when people accept the gospel. We've got to bring the gospel to them. Third question, what will be the outcome of all of this? Why am I asking this question? Because there are people who are concerned right now. There are people who on one side are afraid that the status quo is going to be perpetuated and that from their perspective, government and uh, police oppression is going to continue unabated. There are people on the other side who are uh, validly concerned that those who want a violent insurrection and an uprising will win and uh, rule and law and order will be overthrown. And there are people who are somewhere in the middle who are just concerned about their small business or their pharmacy or their home being looted and pillaged. They're concerned about their own security. I understand that. I'm concerned about that too. I'm concerned about my family's well-being. This is why this passage is so unbelievably encouraging. Because according to this passage, there are two outcomes. And in both of them, Jesus wins. In the first outcome, I'll share that with you first. This is the negative outcome, but it's still a positive one because Jesus still wins. In verse 5, it says this, The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. The Lord here, this is not Yahweh, uh, this is Adonai, this is Lord. This In this passage, this is referring to the Messiah. The Messiah is at your right hand. Just as he is sitting at the right hand of the Father, Christian, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, is with you as well. But will he protect me? Will he keep me safe? I know we have these questions. Well, According to this, he will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. When's the day of his wrath? Is that today? No. Thank God that's not today. Is it tomorrow? I don't know. But the day of his wrath is the day when Jesus Christ will return from heaven in the same way that we saw him go 2,000 years ago. Just as he ascended up into the clouds, he is going to come back in the clouds, from the clouds. And he, at that moment, on that day, according to verse 6, he will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. My friends, if you're concerned about governmental overreach, if you're concerned about police brutality, if you're concerned about encroaching tyranny, then you need to submit to Jesus Christ, and you need to trust Him. I need to give those fears up to Jesus Christ. Do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? If so, then this passage is speaking about Him, and you have to believe that there will come a day when all oppression will be undone when all injustice will be made right when all of our fear and insecurity will be put to rest and those who follow Jesus Christ will be vindicated for their hope and trust in him jesus christ is coming back and why i call this the reason why i call this the the negative outcome is because for all those who don't bow the knee to jesus christ now there's only going to be one outcome and it will not It will not go well. Now I don't say this out of some sort of desire to see people perish. The Bible even says that the Lord himself has no joy in the destruction of the wicked. And neither do I. Neither do believers. We don't love to see people destroyed far from it. But you have to understand that unless you bow the knee to Jesus Christ, that is exactly what is going to happen when Jesus comes back. That's what would happen to me. That is what I deserve. I deserve God's wrath and judgment. Don't think I'm sitting here as some sort of holier-than-thou, pious uh, do-gooder. Those who know me know what a hypocrite I've been in my life. And you don't know the half of it, believe me. But I stand here today as a sinner who has been redeemed by Jesus Christ. Today I'm a saint. Not because I got my act together, but because Jesus Christ died for my sins. The Holy Spirit regenerated me. God has forgiven me. And my friend, he must forgive you too if you're going to have any hope. And when he does forgive you, you will have hope. Sure hope, certain hope. But if you don't, if you don't repent and trust in Jesus who died for sinners, rose again and now rules, then there is nothing left for you but judgment and condemnation. And I pray if you're watching this, I pray that you will hear this call, see the reality of what's coming, and take today to repent and trust in Jesus Christ. He is the only hope. So now let's talk about the positive response, the positive outcome of all this. According to verse three, so I'm backtracking here now. Here's what it says. This is, again, speaking to the Messiah. It says, it says, your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, your, the dew of your youth will be yours. What an amazing picture of how people come to Christ. Your people offer themselves willingly, Lord. You know, I've heard this, that God is a gentleman. He would never coerce anyone to believe in him. My friends, you and I are so sinful, so depraved that the only way we're gonna possibly come to God, the only way we're going to possibly submit to Jesus Christ is if he changes our heart. The Bible talks about how we are conceived in sin. We, are, we enter into this world sinful creatures We need to have our hearts transformed. And this passage tells us the outcome of that. Your people will offer themselves willingly on the day of your power in holy garments. Where do we get these holy garments from? From doing good works, from going to church, from reading the Bible? No. Not without having our heart changed first. We have to offer ourselves willingly. For that to happen, we have to have our wills transformed. That's what the Holy Spirit does. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, a baptized, uh, Holy Spirit, baptized believer in Jesus Christ, then you have had your will changed. You've been regenerated. You've been born again. And so what does this verse say to you? How, How is all this going to work out? How is all this going to end? Well, on the day that Jesus returns, and that day is coming, I don't know if it's going to be today. I don't know if it's going to be tomorrow. I said earlier, today's not that day, but really it could be today. On that day, Christians, you and I will rejoice when Jesus comes back. It's going to be a great day of vindication, of exaltation, of rejoicing. And the fact that that's going to happen should spur us on to spread the gospel. Because we want as many current enemies of Christ to become willing people who offer themselves freely on that day. So, how do we respond? Well, here's some takeaways. One, the Bible says a wise man sees trouble coming and prepares for it, but the fool keeps going and is punished. Look, I don't know if Antifa is planning to attack your neighborhood tonight. I don't know that. That could be disinformation by people who are trying to uh, spread fear and, uh, and and discredit the movement. I, I have no idea. But it's okay to take precautions. It's okay to get out of town. It's okay to do that. Here's what it's not okay to do. Fear. Give in to fear. It's, not, it's never okay to give in to fear. Not if you're a Christian because Jesus Christ is reigning from heaven right now. And he's got you. Two, oppose injustice, but don't provide justification for an unjust response. Don't rationalize what the rioters are doing. Don't rationalize an overextended response from the government, from the police, or from the National Guard. Don't rationalize injustice as a response to injustice. Christians, we cannot sit here and say that uh, rioting is somehow justified because these people feel unheard. That's an unbiblical response. On the flip side, Christians, we can't sit here and say that, uh, you know, these these uh, protesters deserve a, a violent response. That's not Christ-like. Law and order are Christ-like sympathy, mercy, and compassion are Christ-like. Justice is Christ-like, and so is mercy. But those things only make sense at the foot of the cross. If we're going to speak into the situation, we have to remember what the Bible says about these things. We have to oppose injustice, but we can't provide justification for an unjust response. Takeaway three, pray hard. The same Jesus that is on the throne is the same Jesus that promises to hear us when we pray. If we ask anything in his name, he says, he will do it. Well, How do you know if you're praying in his name? Open up your Bible and pray according to what Jesus says is right. Pray his words back to him. Pray hard. I see responses coming in right now that say the mayor's response. Response in Minneapolis was Christ like. Praise the Lord. I don't know what that response was. Praise the Lord. If that's the case, praise God. I'm glad to hear that. Takeaway number four, the fourth and final takeaway. Use this opportunity to get the gospel out. Flood social media with scripture. Stop, pull over, and tell law enforcement officers that you're a Christian and you're praying for them. Ask for prayer requests. I actually did this earlier today uh, in my neighborhood. I pulled over to two different groups of police officers. They probably thought I was crazy. They probably thought, yeah, that's great, man. I don't know, but now they know that there's at least one Christian praying for them. So if you're praying, let them know you're praying. If you feel comfortable with this, walk the streets. I would do it during the day, not at night. Walk the streets, share the gospel, bring gospel tracts with you. Listen. As Christians, the Bible says, all things are ours. No, that's not socialism. No, that's not communism. No, that's not anarchy. But it does mean that we are free to go and preach the gospel. We can do that on the street. We can do that on social media. We can do that, um, we can do that by calling our friends. Look, if you're listening to this and you're outside of Chicago, outside of New York, Minneapolis, other places where there are rioting and, and things like that, call your friends especially your non-Christian friends. Let them know that you're praying for them. Ask how you can be praying. Call your Christian friends too. But use this opportunity to get the gospel out. And when I say gospel, I don't mean gospel implications. I don't mean gospel logic. Should we live in light of the gospel? Absolutely, of course. But when I say get the gospel out, I'm talking the 1 Corinthians 15 gospel. I'm talking about Jesus Christ The God-man died according to the scriptures, was buried, rose according to the scriptures on the third day, was seen by many, and went back up to heaven from where he rules and reigns and currently is Lord and will forgive anyone who repents and trusts in him. I'm talking the Romans 6.23 gospel, that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Get the gospel out. The gospel is not sticking up for the disenfranchised. The gospel is not restoring law and order. The gospel is not listening and learning and being sympathetic. All those things have their place, and all those things from a biblical framework are good, but they're not the gospel. The gospel is that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that Jesus Christ is Lord, he died for sinners, he was buried, he rose again, and if you repent and believe in him, you will be saved. And if you don't, then you have only condemnation to face. I think that's all I have for you today. Connect with the Think Institute by going to thethink.institute. Listen to and subscribe to the Think Podcast on every major podcast app. If you're watching on Facebook, please like this video, share it, help us get the word out. We had a good turnout. Thank you guys for watching. This went way longer than I thought it was going going to go, but thank you so much. If you're watching on YouTube, like this, hit subscribe, hit the bell so you never miss an episode. I hope this was helpful. I hope this was biblical. This is not goodbye. This is this has just been a little pit stop along the way of your spiritual journey. And I sure hope it was helpful. Um, if you do like it, please help us get the word out about it. Um, and I don't make money from these videos. We are funded by ministry partners. We are crew missionaries. And so um, if you're interested, you can find out more information about how to partner with us by going to the think.institute. If you go up in the, the top right menu there, you can go to about, you know, who are we, Um, uh, partner with us is an option and you can check that out. So hope you do if you're moved to do that. But um, that's about all I have for you. So until next time, I hope it made you think.